I'm not eating till I've tithed. Oh dear. Hey, um, as I was saying, we are at the very tail end of a series we've been doing over the last five or six weeks called um, More Than a Song. And I kind of um, derailed the series a little bit last week, um, if you were here, uh, just preaching a message that I felt was really strongly on my heart for the season we were in just and just talked about the love of God and it kind of relates to that because we worship God because we love him and so um, I'll just loosely tie that in just to cover my tracks um, but what we are going to finish that looking at Romans 12 and just going through tiptoeing through that whole chapter of Romans 12 looking at what is worship and I've just absolutely loved it so I want to start just by reading Romans 12 1 again and we'll start go back to the scene of the crime a little bit where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we've just had worship described to us, and not once has it talked about a lyric, a note, a song, or a playlist. But it's described worship. Paul is appealing to the church in Rome, by the mercies of God, by the immense mercy that God has shown to them and to us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, our whole self, the essence of who we are, the decisions we make, the lifestyles we live, the way we view life, we offer that to God and we live a life that is holy and pleasing to Him. That's worship. It's more than a song. And we love worship when it comes in the form of songs. I love that. I love what we did this morning. We will always do that. The Bible's pretty clear. Over 50 times it talks about sing to the Lord. And so we will continue to do that. But, but this series is helping us to unpack the reality that worship is more than that. It's more than a song. And week one, we looked at how, we looked at what, what was worship. Why do we worship? Uh, week two, we looked at how uh, we worship God with our mind. Uh, then we looked at worshiping God with the gifts we are given, that we're all given unique gifts. And, and Romans 12, I think verse 7 starts to unpack some of those, not all, but some of those gifts. And we looked at how the fact that the gifts God gives us are a unique portal for us to display and demonstrate the love of God to this world. So all of us have got a gift of some description. And that gift is not just to be enslaved to the system of the church. No, 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 the exact opposite. A gift we've been given is, is a unique portal for us to access the world and deliver God's love and God's mercy and God's kindness. That's what it's all about. And then we heard from Steve Farrell a couple weeks ago looking at how we worship God with our spirit and with this spirit of excellence and zeal and fervor and, uh, again, another brilliant message. But today... I'm going to wrap this whole thing up looking at a, a bunch of passages from, I think, verse 13 to, to 21. And uh, the title of this message is, Worship is Living Like a Christian. I'm going to close my eyes. If you want to leave right now, that's okay. So I'll give you five seconds to run because we're going to talk about worship is living like a Christian. So a bit of context here, if we go back to a bit of history lesson, uh, let's go all the way back to um, AD 49, so we're talking like, it's before the 80s, so before fluoro and before the mo, all that sort of stuff, so way, way back, AD 49, um, Emperor, I think it's was it Augustus, if I got here, uh, Claudius, very close, Claudius, Emperor Claudius um, had made a decree to kick all the Jews out of Rome, see you later, Jews out. 
got to go. Uh, it was the third time this had happened in a space of about 300 years. Uh, they were all exiled out of Rome for, for about five or so years till they would calm down, settle down, and then they can come back into Rome. The reason being is because the Jews didn't integrate very well with Roman culture. They insisted that they would have their own calendar system, they would have their own legal system, the Torah, they would live by their own currency. And so at, at this particular stage in history, there was 13 different synagogues that had risen in Rome and was servicing a very large population of Jewish people in Rome. And so the, the government felt threatened. They're like, oh man, this is, this is not going to be good. They're, they're not following our law. They're not following our customs. They're doing their own thing and they're only increasing in number. Uh, it's causing a lot of tension and hostility within the city. And in order to nip it in the bud, we've got to kick them out again. Put them in for the third time in exile. Uh, we don't care where you go, just get out of here. And so they get kicked out. Claudius kicks them out. Um, and so it's, it's about this time where they start to, 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 to creep back into Rome that Paul writes this letter. Because what happened then was not only did all the Jews got kicked out, but even the converted Jews who were now practicing the way, the way of Jesus, Christianity as we would know it, they were booted out too just because of their ethnicity. And so the church, the way, was left to converted Gentiles. And so they were in charge of the church. And so Paul, in this weird time in history, because the church had its own problems too, right? Because they got converted Jews with their tradition, they got converted Gentiles with the systems of this world, and they're integrating in the church that Jesus had established. And so it was a bit like orange and milk. It was a bit curdled. It was a bit ugh. And, um, and so, so, so what happened was then the church was left to the converted Gentiles. And so Paul writes this letter to basically theologically steer the ship correct. So that's why if you read Romans, it's very theological. Scholars call it it's like the theological backbone of the New Covenant. It's very, very in-depth in truth and, and theology because the, the, the largest empire in the world, which, which hosted a lot of Christians, Paul's trying to correct that and get it right. So it's not about Jewish tradition. It's not about Gentile systems. It's actually about the kingdom of God that Jesus himself came to establish here on this earth. So when the Jews came back the converted Jews came back, that they could integrate back into one standard, the standard, which is the standard of Jesus, and the church could grow in that. There's a very disjointed time in history where Paul tries to bring truth into that situation. And you know what? I kind of think it's not too much different today, that we are living in a very disjointed community and society. We will call it multi-whatever, but really, it can be quite disjointed because there's not one standard that we each look towards. There's not one true north that we can all agree on. It's all about my preference, my way, what I want. And, and so, so I kind of think well, this, this kind of teaching and passage is super appropriate for us today because it's similar issues to what the church back then was facing with this diversity, which wasn't actually leading to unity, but more individualism. Thank you, my darling. So, so dry. When I think of Rome, I think of dusty old streets, and so I go, my mouth goes out in sympathy. We've all been there. I, I know you think it too. It's, you know, the sandals and the, yeah. So, so does that make sense? This is a little history lesson. So that's what's happening. So Paul's writing this letter. Guys, when it comes to worship, this is what worship's really all about. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to go through, we're going to tiptoe through a bunch of these verses from verse 13 all the way down to 21 and look at these things that you might read and go, oh, that just sounds like religious practice. No, 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 it's worship. When we do these things, when we apply these things, we're actually worshiping God. 
Because we're showing God that we are taking the, the, the salvation plan he has for us, the redemption we have received, and we're walking it out in everyday life. Now, we are not going to be perfect in this stuff. I'm not trying to set a standard where you are uh, to be a, a perfect robot. No, no, no. It just gives us this standard by which we can aim towards, knowing that in our imperfection, we're going to fall on our face, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to disappoint people, we're going to disappoint God, but at least we know where we're going. At least we've got a standard by which we can measure ourselves up against. Um, so, in saying that, we're going to iron out some wrinkles together and um, let's just see how we go. All right, so verse 13, um, it says, Consider the needs, sorry, contribute to the needs of the saints. Contribute to the needs of the saints. So, this is looking for opportunities for us to be generous to the church which is the opposite of what, what I have seen over the last probably 20 or so years creep into the church, where it's like, well, what can the church provide for me? And so it's not seeking opportunity for the church to be generous to you, it's seeking opportunity for you to be generous to the church, to the saints, to the body of Christ, to the new family that God has adopted us into when we get saved and born again. We're given a brand new family, a brand new identity, and Paul is saying, hey, it's not about the Jewish heritage you have it's not about the freedom you had as a gentile it's about this new family that you've been engrafted into the family of jesus christ show generosity and contribute to the needs of these people these new family have been entrusted to and so for us in 21st century culture we can just look to what we can get come on a sunday and feed me feed me feed me but we don't sometimes we don't actually have an, an outworking of all the calories spiritually we burn we, we consume I know if I sit in the lounge all day and just consume calories and I'm not out there burning calories, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to get big, like the, the end of Dodgeball. Um, if you've ever seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but we've got to be actually at work with that. It's, it's, it's receiving and it's giving. It's inhale and it's exhale. It's, there's a system that happens in the kingdom of God. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Open your life to others. That's what hospitality is, is opening up your life and welcoming others into it. Um, and we've got to be conscious that we don't form exclusive cliques. And it's ironic because I, I talk to people a lot. Over, like We've been pastoring for 20 years. And it's funny because people will come to our church because oh, we come from that church because it's just so clicky. And they come here and they get comfortable and they get integrated and guess what happens? They form a clique. The exact, thing that le the exact thing they left the last church for, they now find themselves in, in here, which tells me one of two things. Maybe they were just jealous and wanted that and couldn't get in, and so they, now they've found that and they're happy. Or maybe what we deem to be cliques is actually community in action that we're just not a part of yet. Maybe what we see as exclusive is actually this beautiful community that's formed naturally that we need to go and start for ourselves through being hospitable, through opening up our, our life and our home and our family to other people. And so... That, that, for me, is, is one of the biggest things on, on my list for us as a church is that we would open up our lives and show hospitality to one another, that we'd not be so closed-minded or closed off or just thinking about me, 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 waiting for my invitation. Rather, why don't you be the invitation? And sometimes that's your role to play. Sometimes you're the inviter, always. And that gets, I know, because we've been that, that gets exhausting. So we have invited 50 people over the last two years and we've got one invitation back. That's a big ratio. We're exhausted. And we came to the realization, which gave us a lot of peace and freedom, maybe that's our role to play. Maybe we're just the inviter. And that's okay. 
because at least we're still showing hospitality to other people. We're not getting upset and frustrated because we didn't get the invite. Well, if we don't get the invite, let's initiate that because hospitality is the name of the game, not who invited who. Right? So, so let's be hospitable people. Let's open up our lives. And so after church on Sunday, invite someone back for lunch. Go grab a barbecue chicken and sit by the beach. So today's the day of all days to do that. And uh, let's create that culture. That's worship. Just so you know, that's not religious ritual. That's, that's worship. That's living in obedience to what God's called us to do about being hospitable. That's worship. Okay. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse. This is, to me, this speaks about learning the art of grace and restraint. Really difficult. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Man, that's, that's hard. And that works on so many different levels. And so if I get cut off in traffic, um, no longer do I put one finger out the window. I put five and I bless them. You know, five times the blessing. And then I'll wait and I'll find a car park and I'll, I'll, I'll you, this is yours, this is yours. Um, or whatever it is. Uh, show grace. Learn the art of restraint. Um, bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them. And, and look, I know that can be hard because some people have been um, persecuted really badly and really unjustly and horrifically. And I don't want to just glean over that like it's like, oh, this is easy. Just forgive them, move on. I get that that's going to be a wrestle for you, but at least you know that that's where freedom lies. And that might be a really hard mountain to climb for you to get to that point where you, you can bless your persecutor. Or even, even just getting to the point where you don't curse them anymore. That could be a hard mountain to climb. But I just want to say, I get that. We're with you. But that's, that's the mountain ahead of you. And freedom is at the, at the precipice of that, that mountain. Because this is the word of God which does not lie. Okay. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. For me, this talks about being present with people and feeling their season. Right? And... So often we can, you know, when we see people who weep or upset, we say, it'll be right, mate, you're right, pat on the back. You'll be right, you'll be right, Cobber, off you go. So sometimes people just need to, f- to know that we're present by feeling their season. You can mean, that sucks. That sucks that happened to you. We, we, we just want to know that we're here. We're here for you. We, we understand that, that pain is real. And, I mean, we love you. And at the same time, too, is rejoice with those who rejoice. When someone gets a victory, or someone gets a, a win or, or whatever, we're, yeah, but that's so against the Aussie culture of the whole poppy syndrome, which means we've got to take their humility into our own hands by anyone that succeeds, we've got to cut them down on their knees. That'll teach them. Cocky, <laughs> this guy. Nope, rejoice with them. Celebrate their success and mourn when they hit rock bottom. Feel with people, be present with people. And this, to me, talks about love genuine love in the highs and the lows that we are with people shoulder to shoulder life on life feeling what they feel present in the moment live in harmony with one another choose unity over exclusivity and division unity is the place where god commands a blessing we've got to choose that it can be easy to divide it can be easy to go oh, i've got my preferences i've got my way of doing things now no no 
we choose unity. And this is the beauty of the church, right? Because we are all so complex and diverse and unique and we all have our own set of preferences and desires and things like that. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the one true thing that we can all agree upon that's our true north that actually unites us. And we can put aside our differences, we can put aside all those different things and as long as Jesus is at the centre, he commands a blessing upon that. So live in harmony with one another. Verse 16, uh, B, don't be haughty. We don't use that word very often, do we? Or ghastly. Ghast, that's a ghastly outfit. Oh, that person's a bit haughty. Look at them. It's like, we should bring that back. It's a beautiful word. What a beautiful word. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lonely. Sorry, the lowly. Not the lonely. And the lonely work. That works too, but the lowly. And the lowly is not like the people that are beneath you. The lowly is those who are doing it tough. Because no one's beneath you. Jesus himself, the, the one we worship, our Lord, said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and lay my life down as a ransom. So when we hear lowly, it's not like, oh, because well, I've got it all together, I'm, also, I'm going to spend time with this lowly person. No, no, no. We are all in this together, baby. We are all servant-hearted on this journey of being with Jesus, being like Jesus. And so the lowly are just people who are doing it real tough. So don't be haughty, but associate with them. What do I, how do I interpret that? Don't be a snob. Purely and simply, we all know what that means. Don't think of ourselves better than anybody else, but get around people that are doing it tough and just let them know that someone's there to love them and encourage them. Verse 17. There's a lot to go through, so I know it's a bit methodical, but, but thank you. You're doing great. You're doing great. Um, never be wise in your own sight. So choose, choose humility and teachability because it looks really good on you. That beautiful jacket of humility, man, you look good in that. That overcoat of teachability, oh, my dear Lord, you are just fabulous. Pride, ooh, that is ghastly. Looks horrible on you. Arrogance, oh, yuck, vomit. Humility, teachability, you look great in that. It is so, people are so emotionally and relationally attractive when they're humble. You ever notice that? People that have this air of humility, they're teachable, they, they lean in and sure they might know more than you, but they're still trying to listen to what you say because even what you say could teach them something. And they're always listening to learn, not listening to, to respond. Man, those type of people are so easy to talk with. There's others who just can't wait to tell you what they think, what they've learned, how smart they are, and how dumb you are. And it's like, ugh, relationally, it's just like sandpaper. We just, just, grr. And so Paul's wise enough to talk about this sort of stuff. He says, guys, don't think of yourself more um, wise in your own sight, but be, be, be humble, be teachable. It looks good on you. Wear it well. Uh, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but be honorable in the sight of all. Remember who you are. You're an ambassador for Christ. That's what the Bible calls us. So we don't repay evil for evil, okay? but we are honourable in the sight of everybody, which is the definition of integrity, right? Is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. We don't cook the books. We don't scam on the side. We do things right and honourable in the sight of all because ultimately God's watching us, right? And so, so for us as, as Christians, it is, it is worship 
for us to live this way. It is worship for us to walk with integrity. It is worship for us to, even at our own expense, do what is right because it is the right thing to do. This is what it means to worship. And we don't repay evil for evil. We repay evil with good. We respond a higher way. Even when we want to punch them in the throat, we don't. We show restraint. Amen. Okay. Um, do everything within your ability to live peaceably with all. Right? Do everything within your ability to live peaceably with all. Now, peace is this evidence of the Spirit's redemptive work inside of us, both internally and externally. It's peace is this fruit that, that, that evidences what God has done in our life and we have peace within us because of what Christ has done in us and that peace flows out of us that we then have peace and this spirit of reconciliation with other people. And so the peace is not just something that we consume for ourselves to go, well, I'm fine. I'm at peace. Yeah, but everyone thinks you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, but I'm fine. But it's not about that. It's this internal work that has external uh, outworkings of that and so we're seeing right here be live peaceably with everybody as 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 much as within your control now some people are going to make it very difficult for you to have peace with them some of us have got horrendous neighbors that do all sorts of crazy things all day and night and we can't control that so we just got to go well lord that's all right but what we can only control is our ability to uh to show peace and demonstrate peace the same peace that's in us that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus we show that peace to other people even if it's not reciprocated because that's just the way we do it the way we roll okay um, verse 19 do not avenge yourself let God do it for you um, so what what this speaks to me is you're not going to like this but let me just say what I think it means be offendable and learn to grow through it so many Christians get offended and they run. And oftentimes offense is based in the seed of misinterpretation or misunderstanding. And rather than getting clarity, rather than living peaceably with all, as is within your control, people will just run. And what happens with offense is oftentimes it's small, but small things left unattended get infected and then they grow and they affect other areas. And what was a small little cut on a foot, now a whole leg's been cut off because it's got infected and gangrenous and, and weird and mangy. And that happens in our heart. One little thing is said. Oftentimes misinterpreted, misunderstood, but nonetheless, nonetheless it's said. Sometimes it's said and it was intentional, which is wrong. But we take that offence. That's the thing, right? Offence is taken, not given. That's why the whole phrase is, oh, they've taken offence to that. Or I've taken offence to that. Well, don't take it. Of course it's been offered, but don't take it. Refuse it. Do whatever is in your power to live peaceably with all people. And, and don't seek revenge. Let God do that. You keep your heart pure and allow yourself to be offendable, but grow through it. Become stronger for it. Learn, learn what peace looks like. Learn how to model forgiveness, which is an, an incredible aspect of a, of a disciple's life. If we're to be with Jesus and like Jesus, we're going to display forgiveness because it's only because of forgiveness that we can even have a relationship with Jesus. So, so it's one of the beautiful things that um, we as parents like to show our kids is what forgiveness looks like, not what perfection looks like because it's not right. So when we make mistakes, we do dumb stuff, we demonstrate forgiveness. And so even as people do stuff to us that does hurt us and does upset us, hey, can we be the bigger person and grow through that? and model what forgiveness looks like 
and move on. Okay. Um, verse 20, bless your enemy. Kill them with kindness. Remember this. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So the moment, if you're sitting here this morning and you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, well, that would be only because at some point you repented of your sin that separated you from him and then he welcomed you with his loving arms into relationship into family, right? That's, that's how salvation, that's how becoming a Christian works. It's like once we're away from God and then there's this line of faith where we, we, then we cross that line of faith and to cross that, this step, right, looks like repentance. It looks like saying, God, I'm sorry for living this life away from you and I ask that you would receive me into this new life, a new family you have for me and I receive salvation. The only reason we can take this step that would lead us to wanting to do that is because of the kindness of God. Because we see through the eyes of our heart and our spirit how good God is. And go back and listen to the last Sunday's message if you need a top-up on remembering how good the love of God is and how big the love of God is for us. And it's not that we've forgotten, it's sometimes we forget to remember. And so when we realize and we come to that point of, man, God loves me so much, it's the kindness he's displaying before us that leads us to repentance to receive all he has for us. And so we then now, as ambassadors, as we said before, of Christ, people who've been with Jesus and are like Jesus, need to show similar forgiveness to those around us and not take vengeance into our own hands, not learn, learn not to be too easily offendable, learn to forgive, and here... It says, don't avenge yourself, but let God do it for you. So be kind. Show kindness, even when people don't deserve it. And verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. For me, this is stand firm, keep a sweet spirit, and don't grow weary in doing good. Life is tough. People are complicated. Everybody is like they are for a reason. When you get that, then grace can flow. Not everybody is a jerk. Not everybody's out to get you, but they are like they are because of a, a certain specific suite of reasons, their upbringing, their tra trauma, all that sort of stuff. So we understand that we're all on this journey together. Then we can learn to just you know, trust that I'm not going to be overcome by the evil of this world because greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world but I'm just going to continue to do good. I'm not going to grow weary in doing good, for in due season I'll reap a harvest because God is faithful. And he will not be deceived or mocked. As a man sows, so shall he reap. So all of these things, right? Contributing to the needs of the saints, showing hospitality, blessing those who persecute, uh, persecute you, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, living in harmony with one another, not being haughty but associating with the lonely, uh, never being wise in our own sight, not repaying evil for evil but being honourable and, and um, having integrity, uh, do everything within your ability to live peaceably with people, uh, not avenging ourselves, blessing our enemy and not being overcome by evil but doing good, all of that stuff, that's worship weird i thought that's just like doing kind stuff yeah but see worship is more than a song worship is a lifestyle worship is how we view life in light of what god has done in us and then how we respond worship is obedience through a life surrendered to christ being and uh, taking the words of paul in 1 corinthians 11 1 which says imitate me as i imitate christ we've got a standard we've got a, a model we've got a template to go by 
as Christians, God's calling us to live in that, to live at that space, to live in that realm. And that's where revival happens. Revival doesn't happen when you get all your theology in, in, in a row and God honors that. No, no, revival happens when we take what we do know and we walk it out in obedience and humility and surrender to Him. It's an amazing thing. And so we're going to finish right there. What time we got? 10.43, cool, cool, cool. Why don't we take communion together? We've got it all there, I would assume. Um, let's rip the ugly plastic head off. So we're going to take this next couple of moments and just just reflect, just think, and as we look forward to Easter next weekend, this is essentially what we're going to be remembering and doing. And so communion is just one of those things that we love to do. The Bible instructs us to do that, do this, and we do it in remembrance of not not religion, not not Christianity, not the Bible. We do it in remembrance of Jesus the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself up for us. So I just want to read Romans 12, verse 1 again. The very start of this series, we started with verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, by the mercy of God, Some translations say that in light of the great mercies displayed to you. Keep in mind the context we talked about at the very beginning. A disjointed, fractured society was potent with religion, potent with secularism, trying to make a way for it to fit for all. And Paul is steadying the ship He's tightening the screws. He's making it clear what it's all about, that we can put aside both sides of the spectrum and find ourselves in this sweet middle, this sweet middle called unity, this sweet middle where Jesus commands a blessing. And we do that in light of the great mercy that he's shown us. And for me, That's why I love the gospel. It's good news. The story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the the nature of Jesus, the, the work of Jesus is good news for everyone who was around him at the time and for everyone who would call upon his name for the last 2,000 years. The billions upon billions of people who have found faith in Jesus have had their lives radically transformed because of the great mercies with which he has displayed for us. It's because he loves us that we can now love him. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for you in that while you were still sinner, while you were still mucking around, doing your own thing, living your own life, not worrying about God at all, not thinking that there's a higher standard, not, not, con- not concerned with anything else other than your pleasures and your experiences, while you were doing all that as an enemy of God, 
Christ still died for you. Because that's the love. That's the mercy. That's the grace. That's the purity that God the Father has towards all of humanity. Regardless of how bad we are, how indifferent we are, how prideful we are, God is willing to send His Son. His Son was willing to be obedient, to pay the price for all sin that was ever done, all sin we ever would do, so that those of us who find faith in Him can have life to the full here and life forevermore after this one passes. That's why it's good news. I flip and love it. And so Paul appeals to this broken, fractured society. He says, in light of God's great mercies, present yourself, offer yourself, your whole self, your whole life, your whole being, the essence of who you are, how you view things, how you make decisions, and the life you live, offer all those things as a living sacrifice to God, that your life would be holy and acceptable and pleasing to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then, boom, the next 20 verses outline what that is. That's how we please God. That's how we worship. And then we come here and we sing worship songs. That's just to remind us of how good God is. That's to give us the praise and the honor that He's due and He's worthy of. But real worship starts when you get in the car on the way home. How are you treating your wife? How are you treating your kids? How are you treating your employees? How are you treating your boss? How are you treating your next door neighbor? That will determine how worshipful you really are. So as we take this bread, as we take this juice, let's remember the depth, the breadth, the height and the length of God's love for you. Even in your brokenness, I get that you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But He is. And His grace is sufficient. And you are worthy to partake in this sacrament right now because He has made a way for you in your unworthiness to be worthy because of His Son. And so we take the bread and we take the juice and we remember Him. We thank Him. And maybe we need to make a fresh commitment to Him about the kind of life we're living. Are we living a holy and acceptable life that is pleasing to Him? Father, I thank you for every single one of us here today. Lord, you're not after perfection because we can't give it. But Lord, what we do have is one life we've been given. Lord, we want to live it to the best of our ability for your glory, for the good of others and our joy. So would you help us today to deal with some stuff on the inside of us, deal with the ugliness inside of us that, that prevents us from pushing into you. Lord, would you help us to repent of the sin that is tying our shoelaces together spiritually so we find it difficult to move forward, God. Thank you that repentance allows your power to break the shackles off us so we can walk in the fullness of life you have for us. We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. 
Let it never become a common thing or a, an average thing, Lord. Let, let us get excited every time we think about you, Jesus, the giver of life, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if anything that I've said this morning or we've talked about has touched your life, um, maybe, maybe you're living on this, this side of the carpet where you're just living for yourself. And it might look like it's going well for a while. It might look like it's all good in control. But you know when you put your head on the pillow at night that things aren't right. And there's a wrestling side of you that you're too proud to admit to anybody. But you know that there's this, this battle inside of you because there just is. And that battle is, is spiritual. That battle is, is God knocking on your heart to say, hey, come follow me. Leave, leave the past there. I love you. My kindness is available to you. Just step over that line. Would you, would you repent of that and step into the fullness of life I have for you? That's what it means to become a Christian. It's not to go away and do all these things today. We've got a whole lifetime of working this stuff out with, the, with God's Spirit, God's presence in us to help us and be that guide that we need. We've got God's Word to help us. We're not, we're not called to perfection out of the gates. But it starts with the decision. It starts with repenting of trying to think we've got it all figured out, humbling ourselves before the Creator of everything and saying, God, I don't and I need you. And that's where the journey begins, the journey of faith, the Christian life. When we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord, ask Him to take out that stuff. He cleans all that up, even the messiest of messy stuff, and makes all things brand new. He's done it for me. He's done it for dozens of people in this room. He's done it for billions of people over the course of history. And will continue to do it until he wraps up this whole thing and we're in glory with, it, with him forever. But if you haven't made that decision this morning to become a Christian, to step over that line of faith, can I encourage you to do that today? Like, why wait? Today's a great day. Sun's shining. We've added a new member to the database. It's fantastic. It's fantastic.